Section thirty eight of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk, Part thirty eight. Of the Chaunters. As the minstrel's art, writes Mr. Strutt in his Sports and Pastimes, consisted of several branches, the professors were distinguished by different denominations, as Rumour, chanteur, conteur, juglior or jongleur, gesture, and troubadour or trouvé. In modern language, rhymers, singers, storytellers, jugglers, relators of heroic actions, buffoons, and poets, but all of them were included under the general name of minstrel. An eminent French antiquary says of the minstrels that some of them themselves composed the subjects they sang or related, as the trouvé and the conteur, and some of them used the compositions of others, as the juglior and the chanteur. He further remarks that the trouvé may be said to have embellished their productions with rhyme, while the conteur related their histories in prose. The juglior, who in the Middle Ages were famous for playing upon the vielle, a kind of hurdy-gurdy, accompanied the songs of the trouvé. These jugliors were also assisted by the chanteur, and this union of talents rendered the compositions more harmonious and more pleasing to the auditory, and increased their rewards, so that they readily joined each other, and travelled together in large parties. It is, however, very certain that the poet, the songster, and the musician were frequently united in the same person. My account of the authors and so on of street literature shows that the analogy still holds. The French antiquary quoted was Fauchet in his Origine de la Langue et Poésie Françoise, 1581, and though he wrote concerning his own country, his descriptions apply equally to the English minstrels, who were principally Normans for many reigns after the conquest, and were of the same race and habits and manners as on the French side of the Channel. Of the minstrels I shall have more to say when I treat of the ballad-singers and the bands of street and public-house musicians of to-day, between whom and the minstrels of old there is, in many respects, a somewhat close resemblance. Minstrelsy fell gradually from its high estate, and fell so low that, in the thirty-ninth year of Elizabeth's reign, a period when the noblest poetry of any language was beginning to command the ear of the educated in England, the minstrels were classed in a penal statute with rogues, vagabonds, and sturdy beggars. Putenham, in his Art of English Poesy, 1589, speaks of tavern minstrels that give a fit of mirth for a groat. One of the statutes enacted in Cromwell's Protectorate was directed against all persons commonly called fiddlers or minstrels. In the old times, then, the jugleur and gesture were assisted by the chanteur. In the present day, the running patterer, who, as I have shown, is the sufficiently legitimate descendant of the gesture, and in some respects of the mountebank, is accompanied generally by a chanteur so presenting a further point of resemblance between ancient and modern street folk. The chaunter now not only sings but fiddles, for within these few years the running patterers, to render their performances more attractive, are sometimes accompanied by musicians. 
the running performer then instead of hurrying along with the members of his mob making sufficient noise to arouse a whole street takes his stand with the chaunter in any promising place and as the songs which are the most popular are as in the case at many of the concert rooms sometimes spoken as well as sung the performers are in their proper capacity for the patra not only speaks but speaks more than is set down for him while the chaunter fiddles and sings sometimes the one patters while the other sings and their themes are the same i am told however that there are only fifty running patterers who are regularly their own chaunters fiddling to their songs while the mob work as usual or one man sings or speaks and sings with the chaunter two of these men are known as brummer jim jack and the country paganini from twenty to thirty patterers however are chaunters also when they think the occasion requires it further to elucidate chaunting and to show the quality of the canticles and the way of proceeding i cite a statement of his experience as a chaunter from the running patterer whose details of his more especial business i have already given but who also occasionally chaunts of the experience of a chaunter the pope sir he began was as one-sided to chaunt as to patter in course we had the greeks the lately arrived irish down upon us more than once in liverpool street on the night of the meeting at guildhall about the papal aggression we had a regular scrimmage one gentleman said really you shouldn't sing such improper songs my men then up comes another and he was a little crusted with port wine and he says what against that cove the pope here give me half a dozen of the papers the city was tidy for the patterser or the chaunt there was sixpences but there was shillings at the west end and for the first time in their innocent lives the parsons came out as stunning patrons of the patter one of them as we was at work in the street give a bit of a signal and was attended to without any parade to the next street and was good for half a crown other two stopped that very same day and sent a boy to us with a joey then me and my mate went to the rev w's him as came it so strong for the fireworks on the fifth of november and we pattered and we pattered and we chaunted and we chaunted but no go for a goodish bit his servant said he weren't at home in course that wouldn't do for us so down he came hisself at last and says we're soft come to-morrow morning my men and there'll be two gentlemen to hear you we stuck to him for something in hand but he said the business had cost him so much already he really couldn't well we bounced a bob out of him and didn't go near him again after all we did for his party a shilling was black ingratitude of course we has no feeling either for or again the pope we goes to it as at an election and let me tell you sir we got very poorly paid it couldn't be called paid for working for lord john at the city election and i was the original of the live rats which took well but there's a good time coming to play lord johnny off some of the tunes there's no act of parliament about tunes you know sir was stunners on the fiddle as if a thousand bricks was falling out of a cart at once i think the pope and cardinal wiseman first of the songs did as well as any this verse was greatly admired now lord john russell did so bright to the bishop of durham a letter write saying while well, i've a hand i'll fight the pope and cardinal wiseman lord john's ancestor as i tell lord william russell then known well his true religion would not sell a martyr he in glory fell 
and now lord john so bold and free has got a rope as we may see to hang up on each side of a tree the pope and cardinal wiseman this finishing worse too was effective and out came a few browns now we don't care a fig for rome why can't they let the girls alone and mind their busyness at home the pope and cardinal wiseman with their monsicle red cardinal's hat and lots of wafers in a sack if they come here with all their clack we'll wound them fill foul there are whack in england they shall not be loose their humbugging is all no use if they come here we'll cook their goose the pope and cardinal wiseman chorus monks and nuns and fools afloat we'll have no bulls shoved down our throat cheer up and shout down with the pope and his bishop cardinal wiseman then there was another sir the pope he is coming oh crikey oh dear to the tune of the camels are coming there was one bit that used to tickle them i mayn't exactly remember it for i didn't do anything beyond a spurt in it and haven't a copy for you but it tickled them with others this was the bit i've heard my old grandmother's grandmother say they burnt us in smithfield full ten every day oh what shall i do for i feel very queer the popies are coming oh crikey oh dear bless you sir if i see a smart dressed servant girl looking shyly out of the street door at us or through the area railings and i can get a respectful word in and say my good young lady do buy of a poor fellow we haven't said a word to your servants we haven't seen any on em then she's had sir for a penny at least and twice out of thrice that good young lady chloroforms her then this one now is stunning it's part of what the queen was a-going to sing at the opening of the parliament but she changed her mind and more's the pity for it would have had a grand effect it's called the queen the pope and the parliament and these is the best of the stanzas i calls them worses in common but stanzas for wick my lords and my gentlemen all the bishops and great house of commons on you for protection i call for you know i am only a woman i am really quite happy indeed to meet you like birds of a feather so i hope you will all struggle with me and pull away boys altogether my name is victoria the queen our bishops and deans did relent and say they for ever was undone bishop philpot a long challenge sent to his lordship the bishop of london to fight him on hounslow heath but the bishop of london was coosy he gave him one slap in the mouth and then sent a letter to pusey no humbuggery stories for vic i heard my old grandfather say his great-grandmother easily loved reckon when they made a fool run away whose name was king jemmy the second billy gave him a ticket for soup though bill married old jemmy's daughter he knocked him from old palace yard to ireland across the boyne water long life to victoria the queen come here my old friend joey hume i know you in silence won't mope now go up and get inside the moon and make fast the great tory rope now and then give a spring and a jump and you to a peerage shall rise then but we'll swing up old pius the pope and his eminent cardinal wiseman old england and down with the pope then there wasn't no risk with hay now i told you of the pope first cause he was most chaunted no fear of a very cadoozer for the butcher how is it spelled sir well if you can't find it in the dictionary you must use your own judgment what does it mean it means a dewskitch a good thrashing i've been threatened with dark nights about the pope after the greeks had said fat of you to say again the holy gentleman to the divil with all the likes o ye hey now was a fair stage and no favour this worse was best liked 
the other day as you must know in barclay's brewhouse he did go and signed his bloody name hayno the fellow that flogged the women baron rothschild did him shend and in the letter which he penned he shed the general was his friend and so good a man he could not mend chorus rumpsy bumpsy bang him well make his back and sides to swell till he roars aloud with dreadful yell the fellow that flogged the women the women bought very free poor women mostly we only worked him to any extent in the back drags one old body at stepney was so pleased that she said oh the bloody-minded willen whenever you come this way again sir there's always a penny for you she didn't pay in advance though then it ended sir with a beautiful moral as appeals to every female bosom that man who would a female harm is never fit to live we always like something for the ladies bless em they're our best customers then there was poor jael denny but she was humped sir and i've told you the reason her copy of verses began since corder died on by's tree no mortal man did read or see of such a dreadful tragedy as i will now unfold a maid in bloom to her silent tomb is hurried in the prime of life how could a villain cause such strife she worthy was a famous wife the like was seldom told chorus she was young and gay like the flowers of may in youth and vigour health and bloom she is hurried to the silent tomb through essex such a dreadful gloom jael denny's murder caused my last chaunt was jane wilbred and her verses and they did tidy well began a case like this you seldom read or one so sad and true and we sincerely hope the perpetrators both will rue to serve a friendless servant girl two years they did engage her name it is jane wilbred and eighteen years of age what do you think of the great exhibition sir i shall be there me and my mates we are going to send in a copy of verses in letters of gold for a prize we'll let the foreigners know what the real native melodies of england is and no mistake of the death and fire hunters i have described the particular business of the running patra who is known by another and a very expressive cognomen as a death hunter this title refers not only to his vending accounts of all the murders that become topics of public conversation but to his being a murderer on his own account as in the sale of cocks mentioned incidentally in this narrative if the truth be saleable a running patterer prefers selling the truth for then as one man told me he can go the same round comfortably another day if there be no truths for sale no stories of criminals lives and loves to be condensed from the diffusive biographies in the newspapers no helegy for a great man gone no prophecy and no crim con the death hunter invents or rather announces them he puts someone to death for the occasion which is called a cock the paper he sells may give the dreadful details or it may be a religious tract brought out in mistake should the vendor be questioned on the subject or else the poor fellow puts on a bewildered look and murmurs oh it's shocking to be done this way but i can't read the patterers pass along so rapidly that this detection rarely happens one man told me that in the last eight or ten years he either singly or with his mob had twice put the duke of wellington to death once by a fall from his horse and the other time by a sudden and mysterious death without any condescension to particulars 
he had twice performed the same mortal office for louis philippe before that potentate's departure from france each death was by the hands of an assassin one was stabbing and the other a shot from a distance he once thought of poisoning the pope but was afraid of the street irish he broke prince albert's leg or arm he was not sure which when his royal highness was out with his harriers he never had much to say about the queen it wouldn't go down he thought and perhaps nothing had lately been said stop there sir said another patra of whom i inquired as to the correctness of those statements note after my constant custom in sifting each subject thoroughly end note. stop stop sir i have had to say about the queen lately in course nothing can be said against her and nothing ought to that's true enough but the last time she was confined i cried her a couchment note the word was pronounced as spelt to a merely english reader or rather more broadly End note. of three lord love you sir it would have been no use crying one people so used to that but a bobby came up and he stops me and said it was some impudence about the queen's coachman why look at it says i fathead i knew i was safe and see if there's anything in it about the queen or her coachman and he looked and in course there was nothing i forget just now what the paper was about my first mentioned informant had apprehended fugus o'connor on a charge of high treason he assassinated louis napoleon from a fourth edition of the times which did well he caused marshal haynau to die of the assault by the draymen he made rush hang himself in prison he killed jane wilbred and put mrs sloane to death and he announced the discovery that jane wilbred was mrs sloane's daughter this informant did not represent that he had originated these little pieces of intelligence only that he had been a party to their sale and a party to originating one or two another patterer and of a higher order of genius told me that all which was stated was undoubtedly correct but me and my mates sir he said did hay now in another style a splendid slum sir capital we assassinated him mysterious then about rush his hanging himself in prison was a fake i know but we've had him lately his ghost appeared as is shown in the australian papers to emily sanford and threatened her and took her by the neck and there's the red marks of his fingers to be seen on her neck to this day the same informant was so loud in his praise of the assassination of haynau that i give the account i have little doubt it was his own writing it is confused in passages and has a blending of the i and the we we have just received upon undisputed authority that that savage and unmanly tyrant that enemy to civil and religious liberty the inhuman haynau has at last finished his career of guilt by the hand of an assassin the term assassin i have no doubt will greet harshly upon the ears of some of our readers yet nevertheless i am compelled to use it although i would gladly say the average of outraged innocence which would be a name more suitable to one who has been the means of ridden the world of such a despicable monster note my informant complained bitterly and not without reason of the printer average for instance which i have italicized should be avenger the average of outraged innocence End note it appears by the columns of the courier the constitutional of brussels runs the paper that the evening before last three men 
one of which is supposed to be the miscreant, Haynau, entered a café in the neighbourhood of Brussels, kept by a man in the name of Pridewix, and after partaking of some refreshments, which were ordered by his two companions, they desired to be shown to their chambers. During their stay in the public or traveller's room, they spoke but little, and seemed to be very cautious as to joining in the conversations which was passing briskly round the festive board, which, to use the landlord's own words, was rather strange, as his café was mostly frequented by a set of jovial fellows. Mr. Pridewix goes on to state that, after the three strangers had retired to rest some time, a tall and rather noble-looking man, enveloped in a large cloak, entered and asked for a bed, and after calling for some wine, he took up a paper and appeared to be reading it very attentively. In due time he was shown to bed, and all passed on, without any appearance of anything wrong, until about six o'clock in the morning, when the landlord and his family were roused by a noise overhead, and cries of murder, and upon going upstairs to ascertain the cause, he discovered the person who was known to be Marshal Haynau lying on his bed with his throat cut in a frightful manner, and his two companions standing by his bedside bewailing his loss. On the table was discovered a card, on which was written these words, Monster, I have avenged at last. Suspicion went upon the tall stranger, who was not anywhere to be found. The guard-arms instantly were on the alert, and are now in active pursuit of him, but up to the time of our going to press nothing further has transpired. It is very easy to stigmatise the death-hunter when he sets off all the attractions of a real or pretended murder, when he displays on a board, as does the standing patterer, illustrations of the dentical pickaxe of Manning, or the stable of good, or when he invents or embellishes atrocities which excite the public mind. He does, however, but follow in the path of those who are looked up to as the press, as the fourth estate. The conductors of the ladies' newspaper sent an artist to Paris to give drawings of the scene of the murder by the Duc de Praslin, to illustrate the blood-stains in the Duchess's bedchamber. The illustrated London news is prompt in depicting the locality of any atrocity over which the curious in crime may gloat. The observer, in costly advertisements, boasts of its twenty columns, sometimes with a supplement, of details of some vulgar and mercenary bloodshed, the details being written in a most honest deprecation of the morbid and savage tastes to which the writer is pandering. Other weekly papers have engravings, and only concerning murder, of any wretch whom vice has made notorious. Many weekly papers had expensive telegraphic dispatches of rushes having been hung at Norwich, which event, happily for the interest of Sunday newspapers, took place in Norwich at noon on a Saturday. Note, I may here remark that the patterers laugh at telegraphs and express trains for rapidity of communication, boasting that the press strives in vain to rival them, as at a hanging match, for instance, the patterer has the full particulars, dying speech and confessions included, if a confession be feasible, ready for his customers, the moment the drop falls, and while the criminal may still be struggling at the very scene of the hanging. At a distance, he sells it before the hanging. If the times was cross-examined about it, observed one patterer, he must confess he's outdone, though he's a rich times, and we is poor fellows. But to resume. End note. A penny-a-liner is reported, 
and without contradiction, to have made a large sum by having hurried to Jersey in Manning's business, and by being allowed to accompany the officers when they conducted that paltry tool of a vindictive woman from Jersey to Southampton by steamer, and from Southampton to London by special engine, as beseemed the popularity of so distinguished a rascal and homicide. And next morning the daily papers, in all the typographical honour of Leeds and a good place, gave details of this fellow's, this Manning's, conversation, looks, and demeanour. Until the respectable press become a more healthful public instructor, we have no right to blame the death-hunter, who is but an imitator, a follower, and that for a meal. So strong has this morbid feeling about criminals become that an earl's daughter, who had an order to see Bedlam, would not leave the place until she had obtained Oxford's autograph for her album. The rich vulgar are but the poor vulgar without an excuse for their vulgarity. Next to murders, fires are tidy browns, I was told by a patra experienced both in murders and fires. The burning of the old Houses of Parliament was very popular among street-sellers, and for the reason which ensures popularity to a commercial people. It was a source of profit, and was certainly made the most of. It was the work of incendiaries, of ministers, to get rid of perplexing papers, of government officers with troublesome accounts to balance, of a sporting lord for a heavy wager, of a conspiracy of builders, and of an unsuspected party. The older hands with whom I conversed on the subject all agreed in stating that they did well on the fire. One man said, No, sir, it wasn't only the working people that bought of me, but merchants and their clerks. I suppose they took the papers home with them for their wives and families, which is a cheap way of doing, as a newspaper cost threepence at least. But stop, sir, stop. There wasn't no threepence then, nothing under sixpence if they wasn't more. I can't just say, but it was better for us when newspapers was high. I never heard no sorrow expressed, not in the least. Some said it was a good job, and they wished the ministers was in it. The burning of the Royal Exchange was not quite so beneficial to the street-sellers, but was uncommon tidy. The fire at the Tower, however, was almost as great a source of profit as that of the Houses of Parliament, and the following statement shows the profit reaped. My informant had been a gentleman's servant, his last place being with a gentleman in Russell Square, who went to the East Indies, and his servant was out of a situation so long that he parted with everything. When he was at the height of his distress, he went to see the fire at the tower, as he had nothing better to do. He remained out some hours, and before he reached his lodgings, men passed him crying the full and true particulars of the fire. "'I bought one,' said the man, and changed my last shilling. It was a sudden impulse, for I saw people buy keenly. I never read it, but only looked at the printer's name. I went to him at the dials, and bought some, and so I went into the paper trade.' I made six shillings or seven shillings some days, while the tower lasted, and three shillings and four shillings other days, when the first polish was off. I sold them mostly at a penny apiece at first. It was good money then. The tower was good, or middling good, for from fourteen to twenty days. There was at least a hundred men working nothing but the tower. There's no great chance of any more great buildings being burnt, worse luck. People don't care much about private fires. A man in this street don't heed so much who's burnt to death in the next. 
but the foundation stone of the new royal exchange fire led to that was pretty fair and portraits of halbert went off so that it was for two or three days as good as the tower fires is our best friends next to murders if they're good fires the opening of the coal exchange was rather tidy i've been in the streets ever since and don't see how i could possibly get out of them at first i felt a great degradation at being driven to the life i shunned grooms and coachmen as i might be known to them i didn't care for others that sort of feeling wears out though i'm a widower now and my family feels as i did at first that what i'm doing is low they won't assist though they may give me a shilling now and then but they won't assist me to leave the streets they'll rather blame me for going into them though there was only that or robbing or starving the fire at ben Corn's, where the poor children was burnt to ashes was the best of the private house fires that i've worked i think i made four shillings on it one day he was the champion once and was away at a fight at the time and it was a shocking thing and so people bought after the burning of york minster by jonathan martin i was told by an old hand the street destruction of the best-known public buildings in the country was tried such as canterbury cathedral dover castle the brighton pavilion edinburgh castle or holyrood house all known to travelling patterers but the success was not sufficiently encouraging it was no use i was told firing such places as hampton court or windsor castle for unless people saw the reflection of a great fire they wouldn't buy end of section thirty eight